Now, for those of you who may be visiting with us today, our typical approach in preaching is to take a book of the Bible and to work our way through it. Uh, many reasons for that, among which it helps us to see the unity of the Bible and to learn together how to properly interpret it. Rarely do I preach a topical sermon. Uh, this morning is an exception to that rule, and that is because last week, as we have been working through Luke, we preached the section that dealt with the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and telling her that she would bear the Son of God. So God would assume human nature through the womb of the Virgin Mary, which suggests to us, of course, that we need to take a little time to understand the doctrine of the virgin birth. And as we do so, it will help us as we move along in the book of Luke. So with that in mind, I would ask that you turn in your Bibles, again, to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel. We will read chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The passage that we preached last week. Now, you may also wish now to hold that, take your finger... Go back to Matthew's gospel and, and mark with your hand, or in some way, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, because both of these passages we will now read. Will you pray with me? Father, fix our attention upon your word and upon your truth, and may it be expounded with truth, clarity, and passion. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts that... As the word of God is proclaimed, our minds and hearts and wills will be thoroughly captivated by this truth. And we ask, Father, that as we move along in this text of Luke, that you will continue to work your sovereign will in the lives of your children and help us to wonder, just to be lost in sheer wonder at what you have done in sending your own son who willingly came into this world to be born of a virgin and to go to a cross for our sins. We pray this in the name of our risen, ascended Lord, who also will come again to receive us unto himself, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you stand, please, for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. This is the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now keeping that marked, turning now to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, continuing the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Please be seated. We in this congregation who are members of this church are members of the Presbyterian Church in America. The reason that the Presbyterian Church in America came into existence is because it was a part of a denomination that once had been so solid and sound, but over time had degenerated theologically. My pastor, James M. Baird, was once at a presbytery meeting, and at that presbytery meeting, we were, they were examining a candidate for the ministry. They asked, the examiners asked, what do you believe about the virgin birth of Christ? And it took about an hour to finally get the man to say what he believed about the virgin birth. They verbally chased him for about an hour until he finally said, I do not believe in the virgin birth of Christ. Well, what would you expect the presbytery to do? The presbytery should have said, because of this, you may not become a pastor in our denomination. But what happened was the opposite. The presbytery voted to approve him for gospel ministry, and he became a pastor in that denomination. Dr. Baird stood up and he said, this is no longer the church of my father's. And the PCA was founded because that sort of thing was happening throughout the South in the churches that now belong to a denomination that uh, also had the liberalism of the North that had predated it by many, many years. Well, last week we expounded this part of Luke, and I think it's necessary to underscore the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ before we go further. Consider this as, in a sense, finishing last week's sermon. Let's begin with this truth. The virgin birth of Jesus is clearly, clearly taught in the New Testament. We have seen it both in Matthew and in Luke this morning. In Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. In Luke, verse 27 of this chapter 1, Gabriel comes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. 
and the virgin's name was Mary. How will this be, she asks the angel, since I am a virgin? The New Testament teaches clearly the virginal conception of Jesus Christ. The New Testament also teaches that the virgin birth is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 that was read for us earlier by Joel. Probably alluded to by Luke as I passed on to you last week in the sermon, but certainly quoted by Matthew. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now there are those who have questioned whether the term should be translated virgin in Isaiah 7.14. The term there, the Hebrew word is alma. Alma typically means a virgin, or it means a young woman of marriageable age. But a young woman of marriageable age in an Old Testament setting was a virgin. It is a virgin. It means a virgin. And in the New Testament, we are, we are crystal clear on this matter because the term parthenos Parthenos is used, which is the Greek term for virgin. This was a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Jehovah offers King Ahaz a sign. Ahaz refuses because he does not want God interfering with his military alliances. Isaiah then does what he often does. He telescopes out into the distant future and he says, there will be a sign that will be given to the house of David and that sign will be the virgin-born Savior. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And those of us saved from our sins gladly call him God with us, do we not? For we realize we could not be saved without him. So that's the first thing simply to say. And we unpacked that that passage in Luke last week, I hope very thoroughly. And we saw the virgin birth of Christ was clearly taught in Luke. It is clearly taught in Matthew. And it is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. Secondly, I would, I would encourage you to think about the fact that what is taught in the New Testament and in the Bible regarding the virgin birth of Jesus is confessed in the great confessions and creeds of the Christian church. Time does not allow for all of the wonderful examples. I give you just a few. The Westminster Confession of Faith to which our officers here subscribe says... Being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance. The Augsburg Article 3, which is the Lutheran Confession. It is also taught among us that God the Son became man born of the Virgin Mary and that the two natures, divine and human, are so inseparably united in one person. The 39 Articles of the Church of England, still among the official formularies of that church, Article 2. The Son, which is the word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very eternal God, and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin of her substance, so that the two whole and perfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person. And we could go on and on. You could write a doctoral dissertation about the virgin birth of Christ in the confessions of the church. This very wonderful, rich, theological, precise language about the virgin birth is found in all of the confessions of Orthodox churches. Or we could go back in history. 
We could think about the early creeds. We use the Nicene Creed here on Wednesday night and sometimes in the month of December and at other times. The Nicene Creed, speaking of the Savior, he came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. Or the Apostles' Creed that we have recited here as we do almost every Sunday. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, this is extremely significant that the church, as we have studied the scriptures through the centuries, believed that this was an essential article of the Christian faith. And the Apostles' Creed was produced as late as 150 and is not the earliest witness outside of the New Testament to the church's belief in the virgin birth. You find it in Ignatius around 117. Machen demonstrates that belief in the virgin birth prevailed long before the close of the first century. I mean, it prevailed. It was everywhere the Christian viewpoint. Where did this prevailing commitment come from? Machen argued brilliantly in a book that's never been answered that it comes from the historical birth of Jesus by the virgin Mary. But let's move on to the third thing. The virgin birth of Christ, as we see it here in the New Testament, as we see it in Isaiah 7.14, as we find it confessed in the great confessions and creeds of the church, the virgin birth of Christ is essential to theological thought, and it also is essential to your salvation and mine. John Murray handily gives us three categories in which to think of the virgin birth of Christ. Supernatural begetting, Supernatural person, supernatural preservation. Supernatural beginning. Jesus was begotten by the Holy Spirit. The miracle was actually in the conception, not the birth itself. When we speak of the virgin birth, what we really mean is the virginal conception of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in her womb. Supernatural person. This baby was a supernatural person. He is fully God. He is fully man. God condescended. Imagine God condescended to assume our nature and enter into the womb of a virgin and be born of her yet without sin. Forgetting this opens the door to questioning the virgin birth. He is a supernatural person. But also supernatural preservation. The virgin birth was God's method of preserving the child born from the taint of original sin. Murray puts it this way, natural generation would have entailed depravity. Now it's that point that I think we need to underscore for a few moments. Natural generation would have entailed depravity. You and I are fallen in our first parent, Adam, We are born into this world sinfully. That is to say, our hearts are sinful from birth. We are totally corrupt. We are dead in trespasses and sins. Original sin. This is the lot of everyone born into the world. We are not born pure. We are not born into this world as blank slates. We are born with hearts that are far, far from God. But that's not true of Jesus. This point is extremely important because the virgin birth forestalls the imputation of Adam's sin. 
And verse 35 of Luke chapter 1 draws the connection between the birth of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now let me say that in addition, it is thoroughly congruous with the coming of the supernatural Son of God that He come into the world supernaturally. We have at the end of his life an empty tomb because there is the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. His body that was placed in the tomb came out of the tomb. But this earthly ministry is marked off by miracle at the beginning and also at the end. And all that will follow in Luke's gospel shows us how completely compatible the virgin birth is with the supernatural life and ministry of Jesus Christ, to which we should add that the virgin birth shows from the start something extremely important. It points out to you and to me that we cannot save ourselves. The virgin birth shows that it requires miracle to save us from our sins, that we we thoroughgoing, sinful, depraved humanists who think we can save ourselves... We're all wrong about that. We cannot save ourselves. It requires the intervention of the Son of God by incarnation in order that we be saved. Again, having mentioned Machen, Machen used to say, well, people argue against the resurrection of Jesus because men just don't rise from the dead. Well, that's true. But then Jesus was no ordinary man. Or we might say, Babies are not supernaturally conceived. Well, that's true, but Jesus was no ordinary man. God himself assumed human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary. You know, when we come into the Christmas season, which we will soon, something that I'm always attracted to is the fact that the great hymns of the faith, the great Christmas music that we sing, the great choral pieces that we sing, could only have been inspired by the supernatural Son of God. And here this morning, just to quote, Ambrose, whose dates were 340 to 97, wrote about the virgin birth, Come thou, Redeemer of the earth, and manifest thy virgin birth. Let every age adoring fall. Such birth befits the God of all. Sprung from no reed of human race, but by the Spirit's mystic grace, the promised fruit of Mary's womb, the word of God doth flesh assume. From God the Father he proceeds, to God the Father back he speeds, his course he runs to death and hell, returning on God's throne to dwell. The cradle here shall glitter bright, and darkness breathe a newer light, where endless faith shall shine serene, and twilight never intervene. No wonder he closes, all glory to the Father be, glory eternal Son to thee, all glory as is ever meet to God the holy paraclete. What Ambrose is actually saying to you and me is, if this truth is simply a matter of the intellect and not a matter of changing your will, then you've not really grasped it. This is something that should overwhelm you. It is something that should grip you. It is something that should transform you to know that because of your unholy birth, it was necessary for God himself to enter into time and space and through the holy birth, through the womb of the virgin, to save you and me from our sins. But let's go on. Fourthly, there are, what are the common objections to the virgin birth of Christ? Common objections to the virgin birth. Well, let me give you the common objections. 
The first is, not much is said about it in the New Testament. Well, I find that one to be pretty strange. The accounts that we have are independent of each other and yet corroborate each other. What is said there is clear. The New Testament gospel writers each have a perspective to present, and it did not fit the perspective of each writer to include the theme of the virgin birth. The letters of the New Testament are written to particular occasions, and if there was not some reason to bring up the virgin birth, to make the point that a Paul or a Peter was making in a letter, then you would not expect to find it there, would you? I think we can dispense of that argument. Agreed? And then it is said it is contrary to Christ's real communion with our nature. The virgin birth, contrary to his real communion with our nature, because in some circles, believe it or not, it is actually maintained in modern theology that for Christ to save, he must have a sinful nature. Of course, they don't understand what sin is either, but that's another question for another time. You see, it's not human to be sinful. It is a denial of true humanity to be sinful. Christ can only save if God became man without sin. He can only save us sinners if in his sinlessness he redeems us. But then another objection is that when we come to the New Testament, it has pagan sources. That is, the New Testament is borrowing from ancient mythology. Now, this is the position that you'll hear in most university classes when these passages are dealt with, that Luke somehow is making use of pagan mythology. Strange viewpoint that looks to pagan sources and tries to find, tries, tries to find parallels when it's very apparent that there's no borrowing in these sources from Jewish myths. The majority of those who deny the virgin birth argue that it was an idea derived from pagan sources. But who can read the first two chapters of Luke and miss the thorough Jewishness of those chapters? And because of the thorough Jewish character of those chapters... We must remember that Palestinian Judaism was passionately opposed to pagan influences. And the virgin birth is not some add-on to the chapters. If you removed what it says about the virgin birth, the chapters would be incomprehensible. There are no virgin births in ancient paganism. They simply are not found even in the myths. There's nothing comparable to the virgin birth in any ancient myth. And Machen, who was a New Testament scholar and a classicist, demonstrates this so clearly in the virgin birth of Christ. So asking the critics, if the virgin birth is rejected, how did the idea originate is an answer for which they have no answer, but for which we do have an answer. It originated in time and space and history because it's a reality. And then I think the most common objection to the virgin birth of Christ, the one you find on the street, so to speak, is the virgin birth is simply a biological impossibility. That was Harry Emerson Fostick's viewpoint. That was his claim, a Baptist who filled a Presbyterian pulpit during the days of liberalism invading the Northern Presbyterian Church. It's just a biological impossibility, said Fostick. Well, it fails to understand who God is. It fails to understand who the incarnate Christ is. For him to be born of the virgin is not only not impossible, but it is necessary. What did Mary say? What did the angels say? 
in this section of Luke. Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? The answer is found in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Yes, it is true. No other baby is conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is not just some baby, as wonderful as our babies may be. The real problem is that such an argument believes that we live in a closed universe and that God has nothing to do with us. And if that is true, then we are, of all men, to be pitied. Let me bring you some important thoughts. Why is the virgin birth important? Well, again, to make use of Machen, it's bearing on the importance of the trustworthiness of the Bible. It is a test as to the view that men hold in general to who Christ is. Is he just a teacher or is he the eternal son of God? It's important in itself as a test for differentiating naturalism from supernaturalism. In other words, the virgin birth fixes the supernaturalism of the life of Jesus from the very start, from the very beginning. He's no product of sinful humanity, but one who comes into the world by an almighty, creative act of God. And at this point, it's very important that we understand that what is happening here in this great discussion about the virgin birth. What you have in your university classes, young people, when you take, uh, when you take gospels and they argue for pagan sources and all of this. What is going on here is that we need to understand that we are born with a sinful bias against the truth of God. Folks, this is basic Christianity. No man can choose contrary to his nature. And if the professor has not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit to see the truth, then that bias against God is going to show because no man can choose contrary to his nature. To choose Christ, a sinner must have a new nature because of God's choice of him by grace. And so you see, the Bible itself and the New Testament in particular will not allow the minister to flatter human nature. We are sinful, we are fallen, our minds are depraved. It's like the buzzsaw that will, the mind is like the buzzsaw that is set at an angle that will always cut the data at that angle unless the Holy Spirit come in regeneration and reset the angle of the saw so that we can begin to cut the data of this world appropriately. So a young man came to D.L. Moody and he said, I cannot become a Christian because I do not believe in the virgin birth. And Mr. Moody said, young man, it's not the virgin birth that's troubling you, it's your sin. What is it? The young man became angry and he left. And he came back that night and he said, you're right. My difficulty is not really with the virgin birth, it's with myself. And so he was led to trust in Christ. And then Mr. Moody said, do you want to discuss the virgin birth? And he said, no, I don't have any problem with the virgin birth. 
And there's someone here undoubtedly this morning, and you do not want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You are willing to deny the clear teaching of Holy Scripture based on these reliable documents about the supernaturalness of Jesus, about what He did when He came into the world, about His virgin birth, about His obedience to the law, about His sacrifice on the cross to redeem and save us, about His resurrection from the dead. You're willing to deny those things not because you have some kind, of, some kind of superior neutral knowledge about these things, but because you do not want Christ to reign over you. That's what's happening. And When you see that you are a sinner, you'll have no problem with the virgin birth, the miracles of Jesus, the atoning cross, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, because you will see that it requires a miracle from outside of you, a miraculous Savior to redeem you. You and I need the virgin-born Savior because of our unclean birth. Because of our unclean birth, we need His pure birth. Because of you, your fall in Adam and mine. Because of original sin. Because of our native and real depravity. We need this virgin-born Savior. H.C.G. Mole, New Testament scholar, Anglican minister from the past, said beautifully, More and yet more, as life advances and as experience tests and discriminates opinions and arguments, the supreme self-evidential value of the evangelical portrait of our Lord affirms itself to my deepest reason. With this, I wholeheartedly agree. I do not study sacred scripture less as I move on in ministry. I am steeped in it more and more. What book can you read over and over and find no error? What book can you, can you read over and over and find that its truthfulness in the details commends itself to you or that it will continue to fascinate you or continue to speak salvation to your heart? No book but this book that reveals the virgin-born Savior. So with Mole, I agree. I believe the virgin birth because I take it to be supremely and profoundly congruous with the altogether unique person and character of him of whom it is asserted. Now let me bring some final thoughts to you as I present this morning the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. Christianity is supernatural to the core. Remove the supernatural and we no longer have Christianity. We must be, as Christians, unashamedly supernaturalists. The virgin birth should lead you to the cross, the cross to the resurrection. The miracle associated with Jesus' life and ministry says to us, you contribute nothing to your acceptance with God. From first to last, it is all by grace. The virgin birth should lead us to say, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And so we have again this relationship between history and faith that, will you remember, we dwelt upon when we expounded the prologue to Luke. We cannot say that the Christian faith is true and at the same time say that the events the New Testament says are foundational to the Christian faith are false. You cannot have it both ways. What we preach as a church is gospel. Gospel means good news. News 
means we're reporting something that happened, something that actually took place. And if it didn't happen, then there is no Christian faith. Ultimately, what gives full assurance of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. But the intellectual grounding of our faith is time and time again convincingly demonstrated and every substitute for explaining the origin of the Christian faith, apart from the facts found in the New Testament, are complete failures. If Jesus is not who he says he is, if he did not rise from the dead, there's no satisfactory explanation for the origin of the church. But he did rise from the dead. He did go to a cross and sacrifice himself for our sin. Jesus was born of a virgin. And holding to Christian supernaturalism is part of bearing our reproach, the reproach of Christ in a world that is hostile to God. It is our call to witness a good confession by saying to the world, I believe in the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus and all else that the scriptures teach about him. The virgin birth as an essential to the incarnation of our Lord is essential to your redemption. Christ's redemptive work is based upon his supernatural entrance into this world, his conception by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So I'm finishing last week's sermon. But do you remember that I started this morning with Dr. Baird's comment? chasing this fellow verbally around for an hour on the floor before he finally could man up and say what he believed. By the way, that's half the problem. Men going into churches and becoming pastors, swearing to uphold confessions and lying about it. Dr. Baird. Well, I've sat under university professors who to varying degrees have denied the miraculous in the New Testament. So I'm all together. And I will also say that few denominations last more than 75 years or so before there's an erosion of their original commitments. So don't think we're, we're exempt from that. When, a, when an unbelieving New Testament scholar and a believing New Testament scholar differ on these matters, please understand the issue is not simply a difference in neutral theological perspective. The issue, according to the New Testament itself, according to the Bible, the issue is ethical, it is moral, and there is a radical antithesis between the believer and the unbeliever. The new birth, regeneration, breaks humanity in two. Those who believe the word and those who do not believe the word of God. To use the words of the Puritan Thomas Manton in a different context, for my context this morning, when a teacher in the church or the school misleads young people on these great matters, Manton said, God will rain hell out of heaven rather than not visit for such sins. It's a moral issue. And so I want to confess my faith as your pastor this morning. As we recite the Apostles' Creed and sometimes the Nicene, I want you to know I believe these articles of faith that are taught in the Word of God. 
I believe it because it is true. I believe it because it is the only intellectually satisfying position. But I believe these things ultimately because the Holy Spirit one day took the scales from my eyes and granted me the ability to see something of my needy heart and to see that the only one who could save me was the supernatural Christ of the Bible. Otherwise, I would still be in my sins. I saw that my case meant if God did not supernaturally intervene, I was hopeless. Have you seen that? Do you know that to be the case? That's what's happening in Luke's gospel. God, the second person of the Trinity, condescends to come into this world because sinners like us could not be saved in any other way. No one else could redeem us. God must become man without ceasing to be God so that He could go to a cross and bear the infinite wrath of God in the place of sinners. And so that as He As the virgin-born Savior hung upon a cross, His infinite nature gave to His finite sufferings infinite value so that no matter how deep or great your sins have been, they could be pardoned through the blood, the infinitely valuable blood of Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Savior. That's the point of it all. That's the purpose of it all. That's where Luke will lead us as we move through it. I believe these things because the Bible teaches me that I should. And the Bible is God's reliable word. And Jesus said, the scriptures cannot be broken. And God's people said... Amen.